Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Shoman, and I am joined today by Helen Hall. Helen and I had a fascinating conversation about movement development, specifically talking about how our development as an infant impacts our performance as an adult. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Helen, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and thanks for inviting me. You are quite welcome. I'm excited to talk to you. You were, um, your name came up in a previous podcast I had with someone else, and I just thought it'd be fascinating to talk to you, and it was, and so I'm excited to dive into it so all the listeners can hear. Um, But first and foremost, who are you? Well, my name is Helen Hall, and uh, if you ask me a question on anything to do with movement, I would babble for hours. But as soon as somebody says, who are you, and introduce yourself, you know, I stumble over my words and wonder what on earth to say that would be even remotely interesting. Uh, I'm Helen Hall. I'm not an ist. Um, I am unfettered by higher learning in the words of the Russian mathematician who wrote the amazing book, Stalking the Wild Pendulum, who never went to school and who solved the unsolvable um, Einstein theorem that Einstein couldn't solve. There was a theory uh, and he couldn't prove it. And then this guy who never went to school, he thought he could and he did. And uh, so I just think, I don't know, um, I know who I am and I know what I do, but I'm not an ist, Um, but I explore movement passionately. I dream it, breathe it, do it, live it write about it, <laughs> make courses about it. That's what I do. All the things. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Well, let's get into the stuff that you can jumble about for hours. Um, <laughs> and that is movement. Um, one thing that you shared with me when we talked before, which I love the, um, the, like the visual behind it is the Lego story. So I would love for you to kind of intro, start with that, and then we'll kind of just see where it goes from there. Sure. So this was my uh, attempt to make something that's unbelievably complex, simple. And I was telling the, especially in clinics, so when I'm working with somebody, it needs to be at a practical level so that it becomes almost like shorthand or coding for, oh, okay, we're working with a piece of Lego here. So my, then it's easy to describe myself because it it, it comes from the journey. So uh, along the learning journey, post uh, Royal Air Force, this is, uh, I was, um, I was the person who felt that they could help people with their movement. So I was a air traffic control officer at the time, but I felt compelled to be able to help the squadron football team. Now, I know nothing about football, but I just I just did help the footballers with their training or their movements or whatever it was. And then when I left the Air Force, this was back in the day, Jane Fonda was giving it large uh, everything was aerobics and I didn't know my right from my left. I kept bumping into everybody in class uh, because they would say, uh, we're going to the right. And that, yeah, I would go the wrong way always. So in the end, I decided I would be the aerobics instructor <laughs> and then everybody could just follow me. And I would just say this way and that way. And that cleared up any um, any confusion. And uh after that, uh, that bout of uh, frantic movement, um, I went back to school and I did uh, a year in college, which was um, remedial massage. But when I came back from living in Africa and um, having my family, uh, this, this was actually, people were being called sports therapists. So I was doing work that when I qualified, a sports therapy didn't even exist. So I was um, working with uh, bodies and movement and pain and injury and in Nairobi working with the physiotherapist clinic. And they didn't know um, I was doing things I wasn't qualified to do, but in Nairobi didn't really matter. And when I came back, uh, started uh, my lymphedema work 
working with post-cancer um, patients. And, and so the learning journey continued. So in uh, lymphedema work with these gross swelling of limbs, you discover all sorts of different ways to enable that person not to cure the problem because they can't, it's, it's not curable, but to manage. And self-management came from um, organizing the alignment of the body. So that, that was the origin of the whole orientation towards um, not good posture, because that smacks of people putting books on their heads and uh, etiquette and <laughs> all of that very 1960s kind of stuff, deportment. Uh, so not deportment, but just organizing the pipework. So I would talk to the people I was working with and just say, well, we're just trying to stack everything so that all the pipes uh, have as, as few kinks in them as possible. And it got results. Uh, I opened the first MBT shop in the country. Uh, and these were the enormous rocker-soled shoes from uh, way back when that, would, that seemed very unlikely but worked brilliantly because of the balancing effect. And then, of course, you've got all of your pipeworks, all of your tubes all stacked um, vertically on top of each other. And things seemed to flow better. Uh, and then this moved on to strength and conditioning and writing training programs and joint mechanics. So with all of this pooling of information and uh, getting older and hopefully wiser and using it. So, you know, knowledge isn't power, but use knowledge is power. Then I started to realize that, you know, there were times when there, it would feel better in clinic. So for the client, it would yeah, it feels better. And, and I would think, yeah, it looks better, but it wouldn't stick. For some reason, it wouldn't stick. And uh, they would make some progress, but it, it didn't seem to be the kind of progress that we wouldn't really be expecting from that level of input. And by this time, uh, I had bought advanced gait analysis technology so that um, I could see uh, with my eyes what I was seeing and also be able to measure it. So I was measuring all this stuff and wondering why these protocols um, had effect, but not necessarily the, the bang for buck that I really wanted. And, you know, at some point you think, well, maybe it's me, maybe I'm rubbish at what I do. And then you realize, well, no, I, I don't think I am. So, so then what else am I missing? And my whole journey from leaving the Air Force to learning this and then learning that and going on these different courses was always because I couldn't answer a question. So uh, what, what do I need to go and find out now uh, in order to help because I can't answer this question? So I couldn't help my best friend who had breast cancer. Um, and uh, as a result of her breast cancer, she got lymphedema and, and I had no idea how to help. So off I had to go to learn. So through all of um, the avenues of questioning, I, don't, I can't answer that question, who can, who can help me understand? Um, I bumped into something called reflex integration and I hesitate even to use the phrase because when I'm, I work more with adults and in my experience, if you mention reflexes, they think that they're doing some kind of baby stuff. So, but, but it was powerful. And so the, the story of Lego was born. Uh, that was a very long story, wasn't it? We get there eventually with me. So the story of Lego was born where um, I simplify the unbelievably complex. And for me, until we can build a robot that can move as a human, we don't know it all yet. We know some, but we don't know how much we don't know yet in the world, in the vague words of Donald Rumsfeld, of course. Um, and so it, I went, I dived a little bit into embryology, which was way too complex. And, you know, we're not even born yet. So then it was the beginnings of movement. So how do we get to the joint mechanics that we have? How do we get to the skeletal frame and the muscular development that is possible? How do we keep breaking 
uh, down barriers and the Guinness Book of Records keeps having to be rewritten. How does this all happen? How do we recover from major trauma to the extent that we have to learn to walk all over again? When we didn't actually learn how to walk, we just developed the ability to walk. So this all became very fascinating and to, um, to make a very long story um, and complicated story short, I, I made up this story of Lego. So here it is, finally, we build. Uh, we build to the crescendo of, I hope it's not disappointing. So Lego, we're born as a bit of a blob. So we're unlike many of the mammals that need to be able to get up on their feet and, and find mum. Uh, we're born and we have to be picked up by mum. So we're a bit of a blob. And so I imagine that we're a blob in the basement and uh, there are 30 odd pieces of Lego scattered around the basement, seemingly scattered, but actually strategically laid out along a DNA driven timeline so that we as the blob start playing with one or two pieces of Lego. Now, because we're a bit of a blob, we can't really do very much. And the first part of the Lego that we notice is the knobbly bits. So the knobbly bits refer to the reflex action, which is the level, the stereotypical response to a stimulus at the level of automaticity. Uh, so this is uh, a, a reflex arc is a sensory stimulation. Uh, it could be a stroke of a certain area of skin, which is processed by uh, the brain, actually uh, in the um, uh, spinal cord rather than the brain because it's really quick and then results in a motor response. So, uh, the, the stimulus is the knobbly bit and the infant will play with the knobbly bit uh, enough so that the knobbly bit, it loses its level of automaticity and the infant is able to uh, learn the shape, size and colour of said piece of Lego. So when uh, they play with that particular piece of Lego, um, along with a few others, long enough that piece of Lego gets to go in the box. It's now no longer a reflex action, it's a motor program or programs when connected to other pieces of Lego. And when there's a few pieces of Lego in the box, we can make a few more shapes and build some more stuff. And then we can maybe reach further out along the floor of the basement to start to find some more pieces of Lego. So the more play, uh, so each piece of Lego creates a shape, it's movement. So each of these novelty bits, each of these reflexes is a movement pattern. So all of this movement begets more movement and creates the strength and puts us in the position where eventually uh, we are upright in the field of gravity instead of a blob. And uh, we're able maybe even to reach up to the first floor, we're able to reach up to the stair, up the stairs to the first floor, and, and in fact, the resulting um, event is by the time we're seven or so, all 30 piece, all 30 odd pieces of Lego are in the box. Uh, and the lid is there for us now to see that this is movement development. Uh, ergo, infant development. But the, the problem is the label. I struggled with the label as, you know, who am I? What, what do I do? What are, what are you? All of these labels, very tricky for me. So we, we've labeled it as infant development, but it's just movement development because we get to do this our entire lives. We get to use this movement development our entire lives. It is, it is not monopolized by the infant. They just happen to do it first. And which is really important, I feel, from even just the pure context of it's not just movement. It, it shapes our being because these pieces of Lego are movement, but they are also uh, our vestibular system, obviously, and our acuity. So it's our sense of um, uh, the way we think, uh, the way we feel, our personality, our characteristics, these are all uh, developed from the Lego. So anyway, uh, all things being equal, uh, all the Lego is in the box come the age of seven, when our vestibular system is um, first, the first opportunity for it to be mature. 
And then that's halfway up the building. So instead of brainstem, we're talking basal ganglia. And then uh, we can learn the skill. So we can now uh, walk, uh, skip, gallop, um, crawl, obviously, uh, run, um, jump, wrestle, throw, uh, climb, swing, uh, and some degree of hand-eye coordination, foot-eye coordination. And then from there, the frontal cortex at the top of the, the penthouse suite uh, gets to use whatever is in the middle of the building uh, for learning skills of, I don't know, say dancing or gymnastics or um, the finer art of uh, grabbing a hockey stick and uh, all of that skilled type of movement, which is based on what's happening in the brainstem, in the basement. So the Lego simply became a story of movement development, uh, which then became shorthand. So um, if I was working with somebody and it wasn't uh, any kind of strength or conditioning or um, joint mechanics, it was, oh, we're working with a piece of Lego. And, and it was like, yay, oh, this is easy. That if we're working with Lego, then uh, expect great results because we go from a blob to epic in just a few years and an infant can do it. So how difficult can it be? Uh, and people seem to enjoy the Lego story. Um, and it seems to sit better than uh, other terms that have been that are in use and more widely used, which is reflex integration, or some people use reflex inhibition, um, and all sorts of other terms which sound very much more medical and not, not necessarily very inspiring. So we build our Lego, uh, organize our Lego, and uh, great things happen. So when, when talking about the Legos and movement development, like what happens, say, in our 20s and 30s when that little blob skips one of the Legos and it doesn't make it in the box? Yeah, so, uh, and they don't know why that happens. And it, and it does, and it happens with, it's a family trait. So people will say, uh, oh, it's, it's genetic. Um, uh, my entire family has bunions or uh, my whole family has uh, the slouch or several in the family walk like this and what so some of it is mimicry and there's been lots of studies on mimicry and of course we survive well by mimicking and some of it are pieces of lego that for some reason and they don't know why don't get played with enough for the level of automaticity to go so uh, the classic um, example that I see very often in clinic is uh, the person uh, didn't crawl. Uh, they just got up and walked early and to great applause and uh, huge pride. Uh, I was the same mum. I've apologized to my children um, so many times and we're, we're addressing the, uh, the issue and they have tickly feet. So the tickle, is left in their feet. And uh, since they didn't crawl, because if the tickle had been played with enough, they would have crawled. Uh, all things been equal, there are quite a few pieces of Lego that are uh, engaged in the act of crawling, obviously. But, but one, of the, one of the classic signs is for an early walker, not the only one, but one of several, and a biggie is, they're an early walker and their feet are still tickly. Uh, when I asked them about it, they laugh and they said, yeah, yeah, don't, don't go anywhere near my feet. Uh, there's the, you know, mum and my sister, my brother is fine, but my, me and my mum and my sister, we all don't go near our feet. It's a, it's a whole family thing. And, and, I, and I say to them, well, the, uh, the, the thinking is really that, that the tickle shouldn't still be there because it's a leftover from movement development. 
which can come back because uh, you can get a concussion later on in life and some of your Lego gets shaken uh, down in the basement a little bit much, a little bit too much and the, the piece of Lego falls out of the box, hugely simplifying things, obviously. But things that were organized can become disorganized. So maybe they did crawl, but they've had a few concussions and now they're walking funny and there isn't the stability in their feet. And maybe it's not a tickle, but it's a residual. So when you stroke the receptive field, the, um, the tingle lasts too long. So if you stroke your arm, you know you've been there. Uh, I've just stroked my arm when I said that. Uh, I'm still aware of it. Uh, and, and in a few moments, you know, it's, it's gone. So if I really thought of it, no, it's gone. It's gone. So if it's still in your foot uh, after a normal amount of time, this is uh, it's a piece of Lego that needs organizing because you're you're going through your foot in when you're walking 0 0.65, 0 0.8 of a second. And if there is a residual activity in your foot that lasts longer than uh, the stroke on your arm and you are you have, we're not birds, we have to walk through our feet, then your central nervous system will find a way of suppressing it. Because you can't have it, you can't, we can't be upright humans in the field of gravity walking on our feet if every time we step on them, uh, they are reacting with the ground instead of responding to the ground. And uh, what we find is that people will walk on the outside edges of their feet, which is where one of the receptive fields is. They'll just kind of pin it down because everybody knows if, you, if you've got a tickle, if you go in gently, it's a nightmare, but if you go in firm and hard, all is well. So you can kind of stomp your way uh, into uh, being able to use your feet reasonably well, as in not face plant, uh, or you can avoid that area altogether and just walk on the insides of your feet and then you'll be labeled, you know, not need or an overpronator. And you can do all the supination mechanics you want, but you are running away from the receptor field on the outside of your foot. So you'll make some gains, but it won't be able to hold because <laughs> your central nervous system wins hands down every time. Or uh, your central nervous system will be okay about the receptive field pinging your big toe up. And so you'll just spend your life going through your socks and making big holes in the big toe. And sometimes the, the receptive field is so strong, people go through the uppers in their trainers and even the uppers in leather shoes. I've seen this. So it's powerful stuff. Um, and it leaves its mark. So it's understanding. It's just having the the freedom of thinking to uh, what it might be, it certainly might be, you just don't have supernatural mechanics, so you just do supernatural mechanics. But if it, doesn't, if, it's, if it doesn't really work, or if in history, in the history they talked about familial things, or that they were you know, an, uh, a very active as a child and an early walker, it's ringing alarm bells that, oh, well, hang on a minute, maybe they're stuck in this foot shape. And there's often a rigidity to the foot that you can even see if they're walking without their shoes on. So if, they're, if you're assessing with shoes on, then you miss that juicy bit of uh, information. If you even if, even if you assess with their socks on, you miss it. Um, and uh, there was a thought that just popped into my head that just disappeared again. I hope it comes back. Uh, walking, assessing uh, with and without shoes on. Oh, I hope it comes back. It's gone. Laces. Laces. They'll tie their laces really tight to pin their foot into the shoe so that there's no movement. They will call it all sorts of stories. We tell ourselves stories all the time. And I, I'm as guilty as everybody. Uh, you know, the reason is so and so so and so. Uh, and I, I, read, I read somewhere that you've got to tie your laces really, really tight um, uh, to keep your shoe on so that you don't get blisters, so you don't get rub. And the person who needs their shoe to hug around their foot so that that sensory receptive field doesn't get any input apart from you landing on it, those are the people that would be happy to tie their laces really tight. 
and and you can see shoes that look tight um, on a foot and you think, hmm, I wonder. And it's just a thought process for you to explore rather than, you know, this equals that. It doesn't work that way, but they're just clues to explore um, because anybody else who didn't have something within the, the sole of the foot that they had to avoid or their central nervous system had to avoid probably wouldn't like their laces being tied quite so tight um, and to be squished inside their shoes. Let's take a quick break now to talk about OS first compression and bracing. It is commonly known that compression helps with circulation. We see that medically decreasing your risk of blood clots. We see that on flights using compression to decrease swelling. And even with racing, a lot of times we'll see it with decreasing or improving our circulation there as well. What you might not know though is we actually decrease the fatigue in our feet and legs when we use compression while training. Why is this? The added compression actually helps the muscles fire faster and better. So that means all those little small muscles in your foot and lower leg don't have to work quite as hard when you do every single thing you do. Long term, it means you get to perform better for longer. So check out OS First Compression for yourself. Test it out. See if you get those amazing benefits that I notice for myself. You can head over to osfirst.com to check out all of their amazing products. And if you use code GETYOURFIX at checkout, you can save 15%. You can also head over to getyourfixpt.com slash partners, get a direct link to OS First, as well as see all the other partners that I have some discounts for. And now let's get back to the conversation. What's really fascinating about this is I, like high school and college, I was that runner who put the holes in the top of their shoes. Um, I, I realized like two years ago that I like standing on the outside of my feet and I used to be really ticklish on my feet. And I've realized in the past, like, since we talked last time, like, I don't have that anymore. So, and I've spent a lot of time over the past several years, like working on foot strength and control and this and the other. So I don't know if like you would know better than I would, like, is that kind of what helps get rid of it? Or is there something else I've done without realizing it that has gotten me past all that stuff. So uh, since we spoke, so you had ticklish feet and then we spoke and then you, you realized you were walking on the outsides of your feet. I realized the outside of the feet thing about two years ago. Um, it was just all of a sudden I realized more recently that I was like, you know what? I haven't noticed my ticklish feet for probably a few years. So it's, it's just, so, it just kind of triggered thoughts as far as when we were talking last time, I'm like, I didn't really notice that for a while. <laughs> well, so have you tested your tickly feet? Um, funny, you ask, and the reasons came to mind. I was at my um, chiropractor last week and he was looking at her, he was just assessing my feet and he like went to tickle them and he's like, nope, not ticklish. I was like, funny thing I used to be. So he kind of did recently without me <laughs> like thinking about it. Okay. So, uh, it's, uh, then I have no idea. Maybe all of the, uh, the foot strengthening work that you did had enough tactility involved in it that uh, enabled the reactive, uh, the receptive fields to just come. Um, and equally, uh, I know plenty of people who've been through clinic who have uh, rolled their plantar fasciitis on funny spiky balls endlessly, years and years of it, and their feet are still tickly. So uh, I'm curious to know what may have triggered the loss of your tickliness, but it, it can be, you know, just enough. So I was working with a, a young lady who, um, it, it was an interesting case uh, and quite complex, but you couldn't touch her waist. She moved in a way that restricted uh, movement in the waist. And I, working on her, I had to work through um, really quite a few layers of thick blanket to the point where I had to just guess where her waist was. And so I knew that her brother had a weighted blanket 
So, and all we did was, okay, every evening, just spend a few minutes lying on your side with the weighted blanket heavily pressing on your waist sideline. And six weeks later, she was transformed. So sometimes there's just a small enough trigger is enough to remove, to, to quieten the receptor field, to organize a piece of Lego for it to go into the box and it not be um, an irritant literally anymore. So uh, I would love to know what you did because there, there are many ways to do it uh, and to learn another one <laughs> would be very useful. So if you do remember, just drop me a line. <laughs> I'll use it in my work. I'll credit you, obviously. Awesome, awesome. I'll think about that and figure out what did I do? That might've been different. Um, when, when we do have like missing Legos or like we've gotten a head injury that's disrupted some of those Legos. What are, are we talking like, does this cause injuries? Does this cause lack of performance? Like what sort of things are happen or can happen because of these missing reflexes? Uh, well, and, and it's not that they're missing. It's more, they're not organized. Okay. So yeah, it's just, um, everybody has them, uh, they're in our DNA, uh, and just some people just get stuck in them. Uh, I remember a guy came to me and he, he, he just gaily told me that he was born in Superman position. <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> okay. And he would go to the chiropractor every week because his, his, his neck was always, uh, tortured. And the chiropractor every week would manipulate. Uh, and it, this was just the cycle that he was stuck in. Um, and he was stuck in the Usain Bolt. I call it Usain Bolt because it's, it's this, it's the fencing reflex. And he was still in it. His entire, he, he walked, uh, his, his head was turned slightly left. He walked with his, oh, I'm zooming, am I? So his left arm was uh, abducted. His left leg was abducted. His right arm walked as if he was carrying a handbag and his right leg wanted to come in towards the, ins uh, towards the midline. So can they cause injury? Well, well, yeah, pain, because you, you, it's almost like you get stuck in a repetitive, um, a repetitive strain cycle or it's a repetitive strain injury because you can only do the same thing over and over again. You, your options are less when your body is is has that level of automaticity, which was really helpful in movement development, but is singularly unhelpful when we're meant to have uh, 30 pieces of Lego in the box there to create any number of shapes. So, you know, our tongue uh, is meant to be able to create 10,000 uh, sounds. You think, how do they know that? That's a lot of shapes. But somebody, some scientist has gone to the trouble of, of discovering this and or, or working it out. So it is. Uh, but if the tongue can only do one thing, then then that uh, that cuts out this enormous swathe of other options. So this guy who only had left, he didn't have a right. So so you you promulgate that to the gifted footballer who uh, he, so let's say he plays um, left back. So whatever type of football you're talking about is at the back of the pitch and he's on the left side of the pitch. Uh, so I'm um, sorry, um, I'm, I've got, I'm getting my left and right medal. So he's, um, he only has right. So he's at the left side of the pitch. Nobody can get to him on the left because he doesn't have a left. He only has a right but he was all singing, all dancing, almighty on the right. He had a secret gift, a secret power, which was all he had to do was his eyeballs started turning to the right. His arm was out, his leg was out. Nobody could get past, but they could blindside him on the left. But if the coach spotted it, he wouldn't necessarily know exactly why um, this guy needed to be on the left edge of the pitch. But when he was put there, he was epic until he sprains his right ankle. And he hasn't got a left. As far as the brain's concerned, he hasn't got a left. 
So then this, this right ankle sprain is a real problem because maybe that was his kicking foot. And unless this is uh, noticed and addressed, you know, a, a sprained ankle that's not recovered could become something that needs surgery and can become something that is a life, um, a career threatening injury. So it depends on the context, but yeah, repetitively doing the same thing over and over again, we know is a repetitive strain injury and that's the level of automaticity of Lego, or it can be, and it's a spectrum. It's always a spectrum. So the gold medalist fencer, who has a sneaky little gift that nobody else knows about, he's there <laughs> on guard. All he has to do, he has reflexive speed. Now, reflexive speed is, what is it, 80 to 120 meters per second, as opposed to conscious thought, which is not as fast. So there is really, there's a secret unfair advantage until it actually gets in the way of life. <laughs> and, and then actually you really want to organize it because um, it does get uh, irritating. So the person who's the fidget, who, who, can't, who can't sit still. They can't lean back on a chair because it just drives the receptive field on their back mad, but all that wiggling has hiked a hip and uh, might've dropped a shoulder. And maybe somebody said they have a scoliosis and they're trying to fix the scoliosis, but it's just a tickle. And the more you know about it, the more exciting it becomes because the possibilities are now with just limitless. Yeah, like this is just also, it's so fascinating, especially like with my background, as far as knowing, you know it a lot better than I do, but I mean, I remember taking movement development from infancy when I was in PT school and I'm not a pediatric therapist, so I forgot it all for the most part. Um, but I remember learning it and it's just so fascinating how not hitting those, those reflexes and those patterns or those milestones, or, um, you know, we all know that child who went straight from like kneeling to standing up and walking, avoided, avoided crawling. And we don't think anything of it when they're that age, but it's so fascinating how those little things of like progressing too fast can cause so many issues. Yeah. So, so many of the adults that see me, uh, they mention, you can see the things bubble coming out of their head. I know that they're not with me. They are already promulgating the information that they're receiving onto their family. And, and I said, you recognize one of your children in you, don't you? And I said, just get them to do your homework. <laughs> just, you just, they don't need to come, they don't need to see anybody. It's probably familial if you have the same symptoms, of course, symptoms with in little inverted commas. Uh, it's not so much symptoms, it's behavior patterns and movement patterns. And I said, just do the same homework. It, you know, it, it'll work for everybody because it, it does work for everybody. That's the point. It is universal. And in the words of um, the Muscadova uh, Neurosensory Motor Reflex Integration Institute, it is the innate intelligence of the body. You tap into that and then, uh, then the world of joint mechanics comes to life uh, and the possibilities for uh, further, faster, greater, bigger. It, it, well, yeah, it's just, it's there, huge potential. So how do we go, you mentioned homework, which it obviously is super important to overcome all this stuff. Um, how, and I know it's a very complex answer, but as a general, how do we go about reorganizing everything properly? Um, cause I know it's not just strengthening exercises or doing, you know, all that stuff. So how, what does that look like as far as someone working to reintegrate all these reflexes properly? Yeah. And this is, um, it's a really good question. Uh, and there are, there are bodies uh, as in um, fields, practitioner, practitioner um, bodies of work who use the, uh, there's something called the rhythmical movement method or rhythmical movement therapy, where it's basically rocking movements. Um, and for children, uh, 
this is probably quite easy for adults the the, the concept of it so I, I'm trained in uh, uh, Paul Czech's work uh, so a Czech practitioner and he is uh, unafraid by any labels of uh, infant development and we are actively taught uh, thumb sucking and uh, crawling um, using our forehead, uh, the inchworm, and uh, just basically wiggling around on the floor. It's unbelievably hard work. And you realize how unbelievably strong babies actually are. And there are, there is, there is, uh, there are certain populations that would be okay with that. In my experience, not only do people get a little bit angsty or not sure if they're in the right room, if uh, reflexes are mentioned, um, uh, certainly uh, if, if I mention sucking a thumb uh, on the first uh, session, they, they, they wouldn't come back. Uh, and it's not necessary. So I'm working with somebody at the moment who has voice strain and his sucking reflexes are... Uh, all um, they miss, they're, they're not active enough. And one part, the base of his mouth on one side is much tighter than the other. And we're working with the sucking reflexes, but you don't have to suck to do that. All you have to do is understand uh, where the muscles attach to, what the tendons are doing and work the tendons because the Golgi cells in the tendons will talk to the muscles for you. So you don't actually have to go through the action of sucking. You don't have to go through the action of crawling. You don't have to become the baby to organize movement development uh, now that you're an adult. Because I think that people, they, they're, they're curious because they've got tickly feet, uh, but they don't want to have to go around crawling on all fours because some adults can't because it hurts their knees. Some adults can't because they never did in the first place. And that's the point. They didn't in the first place and they still can't because they couldn't in the first place. The baby, them as a baby, didn't choose not to walk. They didn't have the raw material available. That piece of Lego was too far away. They couldn't play with it. So, but we're driven by curiosity. So they crawled their way up the furniture, got or crawled. <laughs> Uh, I didn't mean to use that word. Um, uh, it's a uh, brachial uh, movement, isn't it? So they use the furniture to bring themselves to upright or a very proud parent's finger to get to upright and onto their feet quickly. So crawling um, in an adult way isn't going to form the movement that was missing in the first place that prevented them crawling back then, if that makes any sense. So... I, I work very mindfully that uh, it is far better to use the understanding of the movement pattern to then come up with ways to incorporate it into movement for an adult and for an adult to feel as if it's acceptable. <laughs> and to not make them feel as if they're regressing uh, into infancy because it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. uh, some people will happily wiggle around on the floor. And it's great because if you missed all that tummy time, go enjoy. Uh, it, and it may be uh, that just through play, you organize uh, that which is disorganized. Much like maybe you organize within your feet that which was disorganized simply through enough play with your feet. Because that's how a baby does it. They play, they don't go through protocols. They don't do uh, X amount of tractions of this, that, and the other. They play, this, this foot wafts in front of their head. They, they grab it by, by freak. They stick it in their mouth because that's how they explore stuff. And they connect that that feels quite good. They get feedback from it because there's so many sensory nerve endings in feet. And then they realize that they can do this at will. So the feet get played with. And then, of course, mum and dad come along. This little piggy went to market. This little piggy went home and play with toes. All of this play happens if the feet are out, not hidden away in baby grows and not put into uh, pretty socks and pretty shoes uh, that look like pseudo grown up stuff. If, so long as that doesn't happen too soon, 
the feet will get played with. And so sometimes play is all you need. The vestibular system, maybe just, you know, being on a swing is all you need to help uh, stimulate the brain to figure out what is happening in that swinging action for it to do that last little bit of organizing the knobbly bits of the Lego to take it out of the automaticity level of I'm unstable on my feet because I can't cope with any forward and backward movement very well. Uh, but you sit on a swing for long enough and your brain will figure it out. Maybe. And quite possibly, because that's how it all happens in the first place. So I think that ways to help people really are limited only by your imagination. Once you've been given the protocols and you understand what the reflex arc was doing in terms of a motor response in the first place. But just as an example, uh, and because I can measure it, and I have uh, data, so much data uh, of applying a protocol and getting a response, some response, but it not, not sticking. And then doing something as simple as feet wiping. So giving an is, uh, essentially a shed load of bull, just barraging the central nervous system with information from the soles of the feet, because maybe it just didn't have enough and they've been wrapped up in socks and shoes ever since. And it tends to be these people, they, they don't want, oh, oh, they never walk without their socks on. Oh no, no, they always put my slippers on. Uh, and it's princess in the pea. It, it's not, uh, there's a saying about, um, it's not the mountain that breaks you, it's the, the grain of sand in your shoe. And you think, <laughs> maybe your feet are too tickly <laughs> because we should be able to cope with a grain of sand in our shoe, right? So these people will, oh, no, no, I, I can't. Uh, I have sensory mats here with all sorts of spiky, knobbly bits. And, and they're, ooh, 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 ooh. and then I think, yeah, your feet, they need more information because they're hypersensitive. And you just give them a shed load of information. So you wipe your feet as if you had shoes on and you had stuff on the sole of your feet. And, and some people really don't like it. It's like, oh no, it's hard. Oh, it's really horrible. But gradually it calms. And uh, you know, a few weeks later, they're laughing about it because now their feet have freedom. Their feet can relax, their feet can load, their feet can lengthen in pronation and recoil and give them supination. Who knew? And it was just that they were hypersensitive. And it works the same if you're hyposensitive. So there are people who can just take their shoes off and stomp around on, um, on uh, coastal trails. I'm working with a guy now. He just, now I can, I'm going to run the coastal trail, stony, stony paths, proper barefoot. And I thought, how on earth are you managing to do that? Your feet have, uh, there are only three places in the body, um, as far as I recall, that have all nine types of skin receptors. The palm of your hand, or your hands, uh, the, 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 um, uh, the palm side of your hand, all the way through to the fingertips, your tongue, and the soles of your feet. So they're there to give you a lot of information. So how can you go from uh, running around with your shoes on to taking your shoes off and not batting an eyelid, running along stony coastal trails in the UK? It's just, that's madness. And I was working with him and I said, um, okay, uh, just, just as soon as you touch my finger with the ball of your foot, just stop. And then, it, you know, I was going red in the face and I said, okay, okay, stop, you're breaking my finger. And he couldn't feel it. He couldn't feel that he was pressing down on my finger to the point where I was nearly going to scream. And then it all became clear. He was hyposensitive. And so we did the same thing because it's not about switching things on, switching things off, activating, deactivating. How do we know what's going on? This is all happening too fast. It's about regulation. It's about organizing. We don't want too much. We don't want too little. We just want just right. Well, we can't find it, but our central nervous system can. Just give it the information 
for it to utilize. So he did exactly the same as everybody else, wiped his feet thoroughly, a lot. And now he, he's messaged me and he said, oh, uh, my plans to run around uh, the UK barefoot, uh, I think I need to amend them. And I thought, <laughs> oh, can you feel stuff now? <laughs> and of course you could feel stuff now, which is what the feet are meant to do. They're meant to feel stuff. So it's not a party trick. They're with us for life and they, they take us on all sorts of adventures and we need them to give us the information that they should be gifting us. That is, this is also interesting. And I think I could talk for hours with you, but I value your time and our listeners time. So I won't do that. Um, if someone does have more questions for you or just more curious about the, what we've talked about, where can they find you? Uh, well, um, uh, I'm always in clinic. Uh, so I have a, a website to helen-hall.co.uk uh, and I'm on Insta and I can never quite remember what my Insta thingy is. Um, Helen Hall PFM, uh, but I might be wrong. It might be that. Uh, you can find and put it in. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and I'm, going, I'm writing a course to try and condense uh, somebody to, I listened to um, Dr. Chatterjee's podcast with uh, Jake Humphreys, who has his own podcast, working with high performance, like, you know, people like um, the world uh, um, motorsports leaders, leaders of enormous um, corporations. And they go on his podcast and share their uh, stories and silky skills uh, to see if, you know, if it will help others. And he said the common denominator with all these highly successful people was they just shared stuff. You know, it's, it's not to withhold and say, well, you've got to learn it yourself because we learn by mistakes. If we keep having to reinvent the wheel, we're never going to get anywhere, are we? So I'm quite old now and I've accumulated quite a lot of understanding. And with Doris here, um, proving or giving me data no that's not worked uh, it looks like it might have worked the person feels better but actually the data is going in the wrong direction so no that's not your homework uh, we need to revisit and reassess so with all of that um and better understanding uh i'm i'm just developing courses so that people don't have to start at the beginning again they can add it to their toolbox and then build from there to bigger and better and even more awesome and i'm excited for that to come out because i'm excited to see what it's all about and potentially dive into it it sounds everything you talk about is so fascinating and uh i just thank you for your for your time today my pleasure thank you for Listen to me babble on. I really hope you enjoyed <laughs> today's episode of Highly Functional and had some great takeaways from it. Now, if you are dealing with your own foot and ankle issues and would love to get back to running and racing again, I highly encourage you to check out runwithhappyfeet.com to find out what it looks like to work with me. Or if you want to do things even faster and take a deep dive into your specific situation, then book a free call with me at runwithhappyfeet.com book dash call. And finally, if you know someone who would benefit from the information provided today, I would love for you to share this podcast with that person. Now go out and have an awesome day.